I want to welcome you to be, for being here this morning as we embark on a journey. On Sunday mornings here at Northside for the next four weeks, we're going to be going on a journey together. And I'm not exactly sure how you feel about journeys themselves, but I want to invite you to join us, and I want to invite you to invite others to join us on the journey that God made for a very specific reason. Speaking of invitations, I want to uh, invite you and remind you, I guess, to uh, remember our March Grace Challenge. The theme this year is Growing in Grace, and our March Challenge is to invite someone over. Uh, and I wanted to share this group, uh, this small group that took a little twist on inviting someone over. They went to go see Gail Black, who has been at the VA, as many of you know, for quite some time. And uh, he he's, uh, enjoys visits. And this group decided they would come and they would bring, if they couldn't get Gail to him, they would go to Gail. And so they went and they sang and they just had a great visit and it deeply encouraged uh, Gail Black. And um, so uh, way, to, way to go. Uh, to this small group, kudos on your good work in uh, kind of taking this and making your your own. And I want to encourage all of you uh, to not forget the March Grace Challenge to practice hospitality, to inviting someone into your home. But really, it's it's more than about inviting someone into your home. It's about sharing your heart with someone. And if you need some help on how to do that, I've got a list of uh, new members who've come to Northside in the last year. Great opportunity to meet some of those folks. Uh, I was learning this morning uh, that uh, uh, a couple, I had a couple of couples I didn't get permission to share, so I won't share their names. But they were doing this last night and had each other and made some homemade pizzas and, and just had a great time together. And that's uh, good. That's encouraging. And not just for them, I know it was, but it's good to hear you all taking up the challenge, and I hope that if you haven't done so, you'll be writing a few names down of people you might have over to the house, and, and if you don't want to have it at your house, have it at a neutral site. I think you, Mark Yakeley's office is always open. You can use that, whatever you want to do. I've taken a lot of journeys in my life, uh, because, in, in part because I spent a long time as a youth minister uh, at Northside, and then before that I was uh, for a couple of years at a church in Phoenix, Arizona. I was thinking of all the trips that I have taken over the years. I will never get forget one of the very first ones that I did. I was all of 19 years old, and I had we'd loaded the, the youth group into a van. We had another minivan following us, and we were going to go from Phoenix, Arizona, out to California Magic Mountain. And uh, this was the first time I'd really ever planned a big trip on my own. So I, I made all sorts of mistakes in that process. And one of the things that I thought we would be really smart to do would be, instead of leaving early in the morning, to leave late at night. It would just drive through the night because, you know, between Phoenix and California, there's a whole lot of desert. And we thought, well, you don't want to drive through when it's 120 degrees and something breaks down. Well, drive at night. Uh, there's hardly any cars on the road. It's much cooler. That's a brilliant idea. Not at all thinking that I might be somewhat tired when we got to Six Flags. But uh, so anyway, we embark on this. We head out down the road and we just had so many things happen in that trip. One of them was the minivan that was following us somehow hit a rock or something, uh, got underneath and plug, uh, struck the gas tank, and there was gas 
dripping out of the gas tank, and the fumes were coming to the car. I mean, it was a little bit more than a drip, and so they immediately pulled off on an exit. They pulled in the gas station. We're trying to assess how bad the leak is, trying to figure out where we're going to, you know, find a way to plug this leak at three in the morning. And uh, as we're having this discussion amongst the adults, uh, there's some guy over there just smoking a cigarette. <laughs> oh man. Um, if those kids, if they weren't beforehand, they were absolutely secure in their relationship with Jesus on that trip. I mean, they, they, they're not sure they were going to make it back to their home. Uh, but we eventually did get to Six Flags Magic Mountain. And I was thinking of, of driving through the night and the hole in the gas tank and we got lost along the way. And, and through all of that, I had behind me a bunch of enthusiastic teenagers. Of course, they got to sleep a little bit, but they, they were just, they were just bop. Every time they were up, they were just enthusiastic, energetic, talking, happy. And I thought, how in the world, you know, going through all this as a sponsor, I was like, this is a miserable thing. How, can, how in the world can they be so happy? Well, a couple of things. Number one, their whole trip was in someone else's hands. Um... I'm not sure that was a wise choice, but they put it in the hands of a 19-year-old. Number two, their destination far exceeded any troubles they would experience on the trip. Six Flags Magic Mountain was so far up here that it didn't matter what struggles and bumps in the road they would hit along the way, what detours and delays and struggles they might have, they knew they were headed to the mountain. They were excited. And, and as, you, as I think about the journeys that we take, it, it's the same. You can go on a, a very long and arduous, troublesome journey, but if you're excited about the destination, uh, you'll be patient. You can make it. You can, you can stay another night at the hotel. You can make another exit. You can make another pit stop if you're excited about where you're going. Of course, the opposite of that is that if it's a place you don't want to go, it can be a very short journey, and you'll be just dragging your heels all the way. Yesterday, I was in the garage and working on a project, and I needed a two-by-four that I thought I had in the garage, but I didn't. And so I had to go to Lowe's, but I didn't want to go to Lowe's. And Lowe's isn't that far away. And so I just, I didn't go, and I, I whined about the prospect of having to go, and I tried to dream up all the ways I could get out of making that trip that I know I'll have to make. You see, when you're not excited about where you're headed, the journey becomes all the more arduous. Jesus went on a journey from, from heaven to earth. And as we look at this journey, parts of that for him were extremely rough. Parts of that are, are things that I'm sure we can't even imagine physically or spiritually, what he went through. But he did it because he, because he had a destination in mind. It all started before creation began. It began somewhere, exactly where I don't know, in the mind of God. He, he knew, you see, that you and I would exist, that we would be the zenith of his creation, the high point of everything that he made, made, as the scripture says, in his image. And very close to his heart. But something so close to his heart would indeed break his heart by sinning. By doing the very thing 
which he told them not to do. God, you see, God knew that would happen. That wasn't a surprise in the garden. When they reached up for the fruit, it wasn't as if God and heaven were going, oh no, we hadn't considered that possibility. No, he knew. He knew that that would happen. And so he knew that sin would come. And he also knew that as creatures of the dirt, we would be unable. Oh, even if we were willing, we would be completely unable to remedy that problem on our own. That we would need a savior. That we would need a remedy. That we would need something not from us, not from ourselves, not from earth. And so, from heaven came one who was the hope of heaven. As we just sang, he came from heaven to earth to show the way. If you're in your Bibles, if you're following along, turn to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. This is the very first time. And of course, we aren't very far into the Bible story where we learn about the entire purpose of God's story. In Genesis chapter 3, it's maybe t- titled The Fall of Man in some of your uh, translations. But in verse 15... God is laying out the punishments for sin, the consequences. To Adam, there's the work allotment. To to Eve, there's the birth pains and and the uh, submission to her husband. And then to the serpent, he says something strange in verse 15. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. I... Between you and your, between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise you. Sorry, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now, when you think about that, those two injuries are very different. If you if you didn't have a choice in the matter, if I pulled out a hammer and said I'm going to injure you on your heel or your head with this hammer, which would you choose? Okay, hopefully you would choose the heel. Um, If not, you need to get your head inspected. But go ahead and just think that you want the heel. And and, in predicting the solution to sin, he said you're going to have a savior. And here's what he's going to do to the serpent. He's going to crush the head of the serpent. A, A mortal injury. He is going to completely annihilate the enemy. Now, the enemy's going to bruise his heel. He's going to injure him. There's going to be some... Some consequence to trying to crush the head of the serpent. But the purpose is to crush his head. Centuries later, the hope from heaven would be revealed. And the, the, the revelation of that happens in, well, a couple of places. But we're going to go to Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 23. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 23. That's the very beginning of the New Testament. The birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph... Son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. 
All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Speaking of the prophet Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Indeed, what was happening there was a, a, a thing that earth had never before or since seen and witnessed. That God himself was stepping down into our world. The word Emmanuel means God with us. You, you understand that if you have someone that you, that you have in your life, a friend, perhaps a spouse, you know no matter what happens, for good or for ill, they are with you. When, G, when God stepped into human flesh, when Jesus put on human flesh, he was saying to the human race, I'm with you. Not just physically present, but I'm here for you. I'm doing something about your sin. I'm going to be the remedy that you've been unable to have for yourself. I'm with you. And he's the hope from heaven because he's with us. You see, what what came out of Mary's womb was not just any baby. He was special. He was as C.S. Lewis said, the first human being who truly ever lived because he lived without sin. Because he was the, what God had in mind for Adam when he created him. But he was the true and better Adam. But G Jesus was more than human, you see. He was the combination of both the holy and the human walking together. Jesus was not just a good moral teacher. I know some people say, oh, Jesus was a wonderful teacher, just a good man. But that just sort of lowers him to a level where he's among all good men. And you need to understand, if you are not familiar with Jesus, that that, can know, that, that, that is the most uh, absolute insulting thing to Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ made some claims about himself. He, he did not claim to be just a good teacher. Oh, he was. But his claims of who he was were much deeper than that. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Now, Jesus was either absolutely right on that or he was a liar or crazy. As C.S. Lewis you know, said famously, he is either liar, Lord, a liar, lunatic, or Lord. May we not forget that Jesus was more than just a good man. He was the Savior of all men. That He came doing what no one else could do. Turn now to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, at the beginning of my translation, someone wrote the words, the Word became flesh. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. You see, they had always had the Word, but it wasn't even in pages. It was in scroll form, and it had been given by a prophet, and someone had written that down. And that was the basic way that they knew God. But when Jesus stepped into the picture, the Word became flesh. The beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Going to verse 9, the true light, which gives light to everyone that was coming into the world, He was in the world. 
and the world did not receive him. And though the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, who were born not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. In Jesus Christ, we have more than just hope. We have the holiness dwelling in human skin. But do you understand what that means? That Jesus, existing before creation, one at one time was an infinite being stepping now into a finite world. He was a spiritual part of the Godhead, and now he is taking on flesh. At one time, he was all-powerful, without limit. But when he put on human form, Jesus, the Son of God, had to rest, had to take a nap, had to eat. He was the immortal, putting on immortality. He was spirit, putting on flesh. He was the infinite, putting on the finite. What was happening in in that amazing moment when Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came down to be with us and near us, reminding us of how valuable we are to Him. Now, uh, turn your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, turn, grab in front of you a pew Bible and turn to page 1,165. Because I really want you to understand what the scriptures say about Jesus himself. You see, he was more than just a good moral teacher. And hopefully you're in Colossians chapter 1 and you can follow along by reading on the screen. We're going to have, I'm going to read part of that. And then I'm going to ask you if you will read the words in yellow. He is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. If you'll read the yellow, please. And he is the head of the body, the church. For he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might have preeminence. For in him all the fullness of... Whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. You're sorry, I, I forget it. I get a little excited. I'm like a caffeinated squirrel sometimes. Okay, but the, the thing is that Jesus was so much more. It wasn't just the, the, the time that he existed for 33 years on earth. He pre-existed that. He post-existed that. He's always been to existence. But the part of which we know him is when he came down and became like us for the purpose of saving us. You need to know that if he came from heaven to earth to show the way, his purpose in doing that, how great a journey it was, was for you. Yes, it was hard. It was absolutely limiting. But he did that because he knew you needed to be in heaven with him. But that you 
couldn't do it on your own. Have you ever had a point or a spot or a task or a job or something where you're just overwhelmed? You just can't do it. You're just not measuring up. And you wish at that point you had someone to come in to say, here, let me show you the way. Let me show you how. Even better, let me do it for you. Jesus came because he's for you. And he did it all for you. Why, why, why could he have come? I mean, he could have come into this world to put on human skin to judge us. To, to establish an earthly kingdom. And some people think that's what Jesus is all about. Is establishing an earthly and a political kingdom. No, that wasn't Jesus. What was it about then? And that's not what he's about today. He did not come to make earth perfect. He came to redeem those who understand that earth is not home. That heaven is our home. And we eagerly await a Savior from there. He, he could have come to punish us. you understand that? I mean, He could have come to give us the punishment that we rightly deserve. And none of us would able to withstand it. He could have come to condemn us. But He didn't do any of those things. You turn to John chapter 3, verse 16. John chapter 3, verse 16. You see, He could have come to judge. He could have judged, come to condemn. He could have come to, to absolutely condemn us. And all of those would have been valid. But Jesus, you see, isn't that kind of Savior. Jesus is a hero. And He did what all heroes do. He laid down His life to rescue and to save. And that's what He came to do. He came to save us. John 3.16, hopefully you're in John chapter 3. You probably know John 3.16. It's made famous at almost every sporting event. Um, but verse 17 is the one that's less well known. And I think 16 and 17 need to go together. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Whether it was a fisherman named Peter, a tax collector named Zacchaeus, a woman caught in adultery whose name we don't even know, or a Pharisee named Saul, Jesus came to rescue each and every one of us, and to save us. That, that was the purpose of His journey from heaven to earth, was to save us, to redeem us, to make us holy, to bring us back home. Here's what Paul said, and when the verse that was read for you this morning from 1 Timothy chapter 1, uh, I'm going to start in verse 13. Though formerly, Paul, Saul says, uh, Paul says of himself, I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, a, 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 an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of who I am the foremost. But I receive, look what he says, mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example of those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. If you are here this morning and you are uncomfortable in church, I want to say to you that you should not be 
I hope that you will understand that each of us, all of us, even though we look good on the inside, are dirty, disgusting, sinful, fleshly people. All of us have made mistakes. All of us have fallen short. All of us needed rescue, redemption, salvation. We needed the same Savior that you do. And because we need him, we've trusted him, we've obeyed him. We've said, Jesus, I don't know what, how I can be righteous, but if you say, trust me and do what I say to do, then we'll do that. And I want to encourage you, if you feel like you don't belong in church, you've just done too many things, people don't know your story, if they ever found out your story, well, you know what they'd say? I don't know what they'd say at any other church, but at Northside we would say, welcome. You are welcome here. Because we are all sinners in need of a Savior. Jesus said about himself in Luke 19, The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. He made that journey from heaven to earth for you. So this morning I ask you, what about you? When God created everything from nothing, He knew that we would sin. He knew that death would come. He knew we would be unable to rescue ourselves. And so, he, he launched the perfect plan. He sent Himself, God in the flesh, the Creator for the creation. He came for you and I. Not to destroy us, but to save us. Not to condemn us, but to free us. To atone for our sin and to rescue us from darkness. There's a story told, perhaps you've heard it before, but that's okay, I'll tell it again. There was a wise old man who lived up at the top of a mountain. And the people in the village below said that that wise old man could answer any question exuding wisdom and truth and would always give the right answer. Two boys from the village below said, ah, we're going to see if that's really true. In fact, we're going to set a trap for the wise old man. We'll trap a bird and put it in our hands. We'll go up to his home and we'll ask him, Sir, is the bird in our hands alive or dead? And then he'll be unable to answer because no matter what he answers, he will be trapped. For if he says, I perceive that the bird is making sound and that it must surely be alive, we will in that moment crush the bird and kill it. But if he says, I perceive that the bird in your hands is dead, for he makes no sound at all, Then we'll release it and set it free. And so having launched the perfect plan, they march up and hike up the mountain to his home and they knock on the door. The wise old man opens the door and seeing the two boys with mischievous grins and bird in hand say to him, Wise old man, tell us, if you can, is the bird in our hands alive or dead? And looking at them and understanding the trap he was in, With the wisdom of the ages, he looked in their eyes and he said, It is as you will it. This morning, Jesus came from heaven to earth to save you, not to kill you. To free you, not to entrap you. But the decision to accept him, to trust him, to believe in him, to be immersed, be baptized for the forgiveness of sins, And to begin that journey with him back to heaven, well, it is in your hands. It is as you will it. 
This morning I want to encourage you, if you haven't yet made the decision to follow Jesus, some say, oh, just invite him into your heart. Oh, just say a prayer. Listen, the Bible never says a word about any of those things. What Jesus said was to follow me. Jesus said in Mark 16, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. If you're ready to follow Jesus, it is in your hands. This morning I want to invite you. It is as you will it. He's come from heaven to earth to make that possible. But if you want to go from earth to heaven with him, you need to make the decision. He's done everything under heaven to get you into heaven except one thing. He will not override your free choice. And you've got to make that decision this morning. And if you've made that decision, but you've lost your way, you felt like you've, you've got lost on the journey, you've hit a few roadblocks, and you need to repent, or you need prayers, or you need encouragement, we want to help you with that too. Whatever way we can help you on the journey, that's what we're here to do. Please come as together we stand and sing.